Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade, and thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast and all of our Facebook Lives are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit the retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, Scottsdale, Arizona, Chicago, and Atlanta. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off. We can't show you the baseballism because we're just doing a podcast today. But by the way, thank you for those of you who have used the code. I was yeah. at the baseballism store last week or at the uh, Braves uh, uh, season opener, or season opener, stadium opener, official stadium opener. Well, you were for, and, you were there for a couple, right? Uh, but that was the official stadium opener. Now there was a soft launch, but uh, the official, like in a game that counts and all that. No one will, no one besides the uh, twenty five thousand of us who were there will remember the Yankees using, I think, six relievers in in <laughs> one inning in a so uh, like a regular game. Yeah, so. Um, That's going to be another topic. But thank you for doing that. When you do that, uh, you not only get great baseballism gear, but you also are supporting us, and we appreciate that. Definitely. And uh, having, uh, having fun with that and having fun with the Facebook Lives, and hope people enjoy those as well. Um, it's a busy part of the season for us here at Baseball America. We That's really, why the everything. volume has cut down a little bit on the podcast. We're sorry, but... Yeah, everything's going on for sure. I mean, between the minor league season, the major league season... <laughs> Uh, high schools, colleges, drafts. We've been out to. It's so weird how many games and different games everyone here has been going to. Well, it's not really weird. I will echo. Uh, I think it was a, a Hudson Belinsky tweet. Just how much everyone on the staff has been grinding. It's been pretty inspirational, actually, the last couple of weeks. Um, dudes at high school games, college games, minor league games. You were the major league opener, uh, like in the home opener for the Braves. It's just been a, a high volume of quality content at BaseballAmerica.com and in the magazine. So I hope people are enjoying that. Feel free to, to let us know. Um, you can just email me, John Manuel at BaseballAmerica.com, or all of us are first name, period, last name at BaseballAmerica.com. That's the new email convention. But the thing with that is, is that I would say, though, if you were to accurately say it, why we cut the podcast volume down a little bit, the draft is the overriding reason right now because it's coming soon. And... But that's why we're doing a draft podcast. And that's why we could do a draft podcast that could probably go, we're not going to, but we could go four hours right here because it is, there's a lot happening. There is a lot happening, JJ. It's uh, it's an interesting uh, draft class because uh, every year it feels like scouts are complaining about the draft class, but it feels like uh, this year I get it because it's supposed, this was supposed to be one of the more predictable years because it was supposed to be, a, okay, this is a good college pitching first round. This is going to be a college pitching draft. There are going to be a lot of college pitchers that we'll feel confident about as an industry. You know, that's the way scouts were saying it. And they'll go out and see these guys on Friday nights and line them up, and you take who you like, and you take who you like. When there's good college players with it's a higher degree of certainty, it's an easier draft. And I'll, I'll give you a, an example of why. That's why it's good for me to go to some of these high school games that aren't showcases. So I went to go see Greg Jones of Cary High School, I think that was Tuesday night. Yeah. So Tuesday night, and Carlos Colazzo went to go see him Wednesday night. So Greg Jones is an interesting player. Uh, probably never thought he'd be the subject of a Baseball America podcast open, but he is. So Greg Jones, he's old for the class. Uh, he would be, if he were to go to, he's a UNC Wilmington signee. If he were to go to, to UNC Wilmington, he would be eligible as a sophomore. 
So he's a switch hitting shortstop at Cary High School, right outside of Raleigh. 160,000 bedroom community, so it's a nice-sized, you know, good high school baseball mm-hmm. in that area. A lot of the better players wind up going to UNC Wilmington or play here in the Triangle area at NC State or North Carolina. I would say the best player who's come out of here recently is Max Posey. He went to Green Hope High, so mm-hmm. he's a double-A, right, with the Mariners. Um, just try to put a little context. So Greg Jones is very different from Max Posey. He's like 5'11", 6-foot, switch-hitting, uh, shortstop with speed. So you go to see him on Wednesday, and I didn't get there two hours early because I have a job, and <laughs> it's not just going to the games like scouts do. Um, I got there a few minutes before game time with my 12-year-old, and uh, there are two, well, three scouts there from two teams. Um, and they got to see in and out, J.J., so that's where they got to see his arm. He did not throw the ball in, in the game, except for throwing it around the horn or the pitcher. Well, his three plate appearances were line drive to left field, caught by the left fielder, oh. off a submariner, by the way. And I don't mean a sub—I mean a knuckle you, scraper. I mean this guy was Bradford, he was, like he—he he was Chad Bradfordish, and that's the starter. So he line drive to left, next to bat, four or five pitch walk. Third at bat, he's facing a bow and arrow guy with his team down. So when he walks, he, it's, the team's already down nine nothing. I talked to him after the game. He wanted to steal third. He knew he had it off this submarine guy. But this team had just given up nine runs the previous two innings and his coach didn't want him to run. Down nine, nothing. Um, under, totally understandable. Um, last at bat, I'm standing next to a scout. Uh, and his hands were so fast as he lined this pitch to the right field where the uh, right fielder basically had been positioned on the warning track, you know. So line drive falls far in front of the right fielder, but no chance to go to second. But his hands were so fast on that swing, the scout next to me went, ooh, like as he swung. I mean, he was suitably impressed. But no ground balls, and he lines it so hard to right field, you don't get a good time to first base. So you never got a good time on him, a running time. You never got to see him throw. There were no ground balls hit to him. There were two pop-ups, one to short left field, where the left fielder called him off and then came in and fielded it almost in the dirt. And the coach at the end of the inning was like, that's your ball. You have to get that. So the next time there's a pop fly to left field, he just calls off the left fielder and goes back almost to where the left fielder plays, and he (laughs) makes the catch. So you got to see a little bit of the speed there. But if you're a national guy, and that's your first look, and you're coming in because one of the teams that was there had a national level, level evaluator coming in, and that's your look, what do you get off of that? Well, this and, is, and the area this guy is, who saw it was like, what do I get off of this? So you would have had to go back the next night when Carlos had him 3-8-5 on a ground ball to first. Um, you would have had to go. Maybe you could see him back-to-back nights. And maybe you'd see eight swings. Maybe you'd see five swings. Maybe you'd see some ground balls hit to him. Maybe you'd see him uncork un- a throw. But it's a very different level of look that you can get at a high school player during the spring compared to what you get on college players. And that's why there's supposed to be more certainty in a draft class when there's more college players. I and just wanted to give stats, you an example. And, and the other thing is, is that, and the stats are so much more. You know, when you oh, see it's a bigger sample size. It's a bigger sample size, but, but beyond that, you have much more ability to filter the noise out in college stats on the analytical side, also than you do on the high school side. On the high school side, you're lucky if you have reasonably accurate stats because we see we compile the we try to track down the stats for everyone in our top 100 top 200 before the draft 
and you'll get some sometimes, and you'll realize, oh, wait, the official score here doesn't keep track of walks and strikeouts or, <laughs> you know, things like that. And it's yeah. like, oh, Or okay. doesn't know what a sacrifice right. is. Right. Oh, okay, you know, things like that. There are a lot of reasons that, yeah, it's it, it was supposed to be. So, like, that, that preamble that it was supposed to be that the college pitching was going to make this kind of a an easier draft to slot. And that's not really happened so far. Well, that's there have the been guys, but... The college pitchers haven't separated themselves out yet, and that's been the biggest problem. That that has really been the issue with this draft class, is that the hitters and, and the pitchers at the college level have not... No one... Very few players have stepped forward and put their stamp on this season yet. Well, and the thing about it is, is that some of the guys who have are guys who were not considered the top guys coming in. And such some as? of the... Such as Adam, you know, Adam Hazley is a guy who, right? If you came into the year, I think he was a projected, I would say, supplemental to right. second rounder, who's who's definitely helped his stock, no question, with an outstanding, you know, first more than half of the season. Yeah, there. I mean, he was, you know, he was number two thirty three on the BA five hundred out of high school, right? But I think that people liked him better on the mound out of high school. Adam Hazley is the the lone exception, perhaps, of people who didn't like Adam Hazley better on the mound. I had a college coach this year. Tell me after facing Virginia, that his body language on the mound is so obviously like, please take me out. I don't want to do this. And yet, yeah, him and Bobby Dalbeck need to hang out together because they're. And, and yet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, great call. They're both not even both, a good call. They're, but straight bo- they're, they're call. both guys who are like, I will do this because this helps the team, but this is not what I want to do. Yeah, and uh, which makes me like him even better. Yeah. Again, just. Uh, makeup. He's a legit two-way guy, despite the fact that he would prefer to hit. Yeah, but he's a much better prospect, I think, now on as a hitter than he is as a pitcher. Because as a pitcher, he's still 87, 89, you know, which is what he was in high school. Athletic, strike thrower, you know, that kind of thing. But on uh, at the plate, Adam Hazley is one of the guys who's helped himself this spring. Pavin um, Smith helped himself. Pardon? Pavin Smith's helped himself. But again, I think Paven Smith came into the year as a first rounder, JJ. Oh, I, I'm not. The thing about it is, is there's a difference to me. Like even when I talk about supplement first first rounder, he still hasn't separated himself for me because uh, not from what he was before. Because to do that, he would have to hit for a lot of power, and he's hitting for power. And clearly, the low strikeout total is impressive. I would not say that Paven Smith has separated himself. No, I'd I, say Paven Smith has been the same as he ever was, frankly. I, see, I feel like that Paven Smith right now is going to go higher than we would have thought he would go when the draft when the year started. Nah. Okay. Nope. I don't think so. I mean, okay. a couple spots maybe, but that's just because other people haven't done. If he is, it's because of other. It's not because other. It's because other people have fallen behind him, like Tanner Houck. Not because Paven Smith's having some bother year. Well, that's because Paven Smith's having a good year. But he's really not having this massive year. It's the one um, analytical aspect of that, with lack of strikeouts, that he's doing to an exceptional degree. But I don't think the other stuff is really any different from what Pavin. I mean, again, this guy was like 106 out of high school. So when you're that high right. on the high school lit, on the BA 500 out of high school as a high school first baseman, I'd expect you to go out pretty good as a college junior. Okay. What about Brendan McKay? Brendan McKay is the one guy who's totally separated himself from everyone else. Um, you know, I feel like the tide has turned a bit as he's gotten into ACC play in terms of pitcher, hitter, real split. I feel like there's he's, in my mind, better on the mound than he is as a hitter. And 
I will also say again, I feel there's less separation between him as the best pure hitter in the draft, him and Paven Smith. That you know, again, you come into the year, those are two of the small clutch of best pure hitters. And I feel like at the beginning of the year, when McKay's power really jumped up a bit, and he got off to a really good start offensively, that people got a little excited about Brendan McKay's power. But starting really with the series over at NC State, uh, where he was kind of held in check offensively the whole weekend, I think he had a home run and a double. You know, he's slugging 673 now. He's hitting 398. That's good. 30 walks, 17 strikeouts. That's really good. No, That's, no one will complain about it, that. It's not Adam Hazley. No. Adam Hazley's been better. Whereas on the mound, it's 76 to 12 strikeout to walk, 1.19 ERA. And I just feel like Brendan McKay on the mound is ready now to pitch in a big league rotation. Right. I mean, they, I really I know they, that's I know that's lofty, but I just feel like his fastball command is at a, is at a major league average fastball command, JJ. And maybe I'll have to bear down on it with some scouts. I bet you I'd get better than that. He has that kind of fastball command. The, I the think. two guys I think of in recent years, and it's not perfect because they're right-handers, he's left-hander. So he's better as far as that. Right. But the two guys I think of like that, when we talked about Nola a few years ago, and the selling point of, yeah. of, of Nola was... That's a, good, that's a good call. ...was that it wasn't that he was going to be a future one or two. It was that you take him and... Sure, that year, that first year, you're just going to keep his innings down because mm-hmm. he's pitched a full year, all mm-hmm. that. But you, he goes into spring training that first full pro season, and you're saying he's either in your rotation to start or you just keep him down there for a couple of weeks just to, you know, for service time and all. Right. But, and we saw the same thing with Mike Leake. Mike Leake basically never threw a minor league pitch before he was in the red starting rotation. Yeah. This is a guy Those who. Those are two good comparables in terms again, of. Command. Advanced command. Advanced command. Ability to pitch. Also, with both of those, McKay's fastball is good. It's not like it's below average or anything like that. But it's not that you walk away from it going. It's it's the command. It's the ability to use all of his pitches. Angle. Angle. Command, all those things. Good light life on his fastball. Which was also true with Nolan Leak. And and the thing about it is, is in both cases, I would say, you look at those picks now and... They're not the sexy. They weren't the sexiest picks in the world at the time that they did. They happened, but those are guys who you say, "Yeah, that was a good pick." No question. So you would like to pick in a really good draft year, like 2014 was. You'd love to pick a guy like McKay, where the Phillies got Nola, which I think was what seventh overall, somewhere around there. Yeah. So, but McKay's going to go one or two. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he doesn't go one to the Twins. He's going to go two to the Reds. I'm convicted now, of that. Now, when we talk about college pitchers... And Nola did go seven. When we talk about college pitchers, the interesting thing you said is McKay has separated himself. And J.B. Pekoskis at North Carolina, mm-hmm. a shorter right-hander, but with... I mean, when you talk about big-time stuff... Yeah, the guys that he's always compared to are Marcus Stroman and Sonny Gray. Those are the most consistent comparisons I get. So while J.B. is... I was going to say, like, JB says, no, wait a second. Marcus Stroman is a good, right. he is shorter than me by and a that lot. Comes, that comes from his own pitching coach, Robert Woodard, at North Carolina. And that's his on-the-record comp. Um, but he's trying to say, like, oh, everyone thought Stroman would be a reliever, and he was a starter. Which I think, to an extent, is true. But I always, I always want to say back to him, so is JB going to play second base like <laughs> Stroman did? <laughs> I'd love to see that. Um, but, but, but Bukowski says the other guy who's... Right, I was going to say, performance-wise, yeah, performance it is hard to say that he has not done everything 
And he's had one bad start all yeah. year, which was at Boston College, just uh, in a degree. You know, I'm making excuses for him now, which to his credit, he didn't. But it was like 40 degrees and spitting. Every, every, but everyone's allowed one. Yes, correct. <laughs> and But from a performance standpoint, he is a guy to me, I feel like he's done everything he can. The reasons that will keep him from going higher than he's going to go, and he's going to go high, yeah. are... Are revolve more around genetics as right, much exactly. as anything else. It's really the size and then the arm action. There's just a lot of scouts who just say it, uh, scouting directors who just say, uh, you know, for me, he's either a guy who will last five years and blow out. Maybe he'll last three years and blow out. We just don't know. Don't even know that he'll blow out, but that he won't be able to start and carry a big league workload as a starter or that he's a premium closer. And I just get that from so many people. It doesn't mean that he can't start. It doesn't mean he can't exceed those expectations. But, also, if you, but he carries more risk than a lot of these other starters, college right. starters. Because with Brendan McKay... We, no one ever says that. No one ever says anything other than you put him in your rotation and he should just... Again, pitchers get hurt. We're not saying that Brendan McKay has no chance of getting hurt. But... He is a guy for you put him in your rotation and you expect you're going to get a productive middle of the rotation starter and from, he'll hit free agency and he'll hit free agency in 6 years and you decide whether you want to retain him in you know free agency or not but that's that's a very Bukowski so the thing about it is is that I think he's helped somewhat by the fact that if your fallback position nowadays is dominant closer you know not right. oh he could close if you but no we're talking about a guy who could be a true impact reliever. Yeah, and there, we actually have a few questions on the Twitter machine, as I like okay. to say. And one of them is um, from Steve Nitz. Which prospect makes the biggest impact in the pennant race this year? I mean, I, you know, that is extremely rare, Steve. But the most big league ready guy for me, even with McKay, I'm talking about McKay, is J.B. Bukowskis. Because I've had two scouts tell me this year, most of the guys I talked to put a 70 or a seven, whichever scale they're using, on JB slider. But plus, I've had plus two, pitch. But I've I mean, had two is... put eights on it. I mean, I've had two people tell me that's a top line. You put JB Bukowskis in the major leagues, throwing his 87 to 88 mile an hour slider, which is what he sits for like mm-hmm. five innings with a slider. Mm-hmm. And it's late, it's sharp, it has tilt, it is straight down. It is a nasty mother scratcher of a pitch that when he's throwing it at its best, it's as good as anybody's in the major leagues. Now, that is big league ready. And, so and the, by the way, throw in that, that this is a guy who you'll see sixes from 96, 95, 96 in right. the sixth. In well, the, when he, at his best, and, he'll maintain it. I will say that's one of his caveats of him as a starter is that generally, and I've Announced You've seen his, a lot of I've games. announced his games for three years now. And I've probably seen 15 JB starts, and I would say if he ha- when he has a long inning, he comes out and the first pitch is almost always 92. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. It's almost always 92. It will take him a little while to get back, and and when he goes into the fifth or sixth inning, seventh inning, he does lose velocity. There's no question that he loses some, and that's you know on not pro rest. Mm-hmm. So that's a, yeah, that's going over but, seven days, right? Um, but and I will say that that's one of the caveats on the BC start. It was actually extra rest as well. They were postponed from Saturday, Friday to Saturday, 
So he was off his rhythm a little bit. I'm making excuses for him. To his credit, he did not make any excuses. But if just for example, if JB were to fall to seven to the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks were in contention this year, because they were off to a decent start, and I do think the Diamondbacks, with a healthy AJ Pollock, are contendish, you know, um, then I could see that. If the Reds were miraculously still in it, and they got Brendan McKay, those those are the two big league those ready guys. Those are the guys. two guys. Those are right. the two guys. And now, the thing is, they're both they both started. They both started throwing pitches that matter in February. Right. That that's the thing about this is, yeah. is that I don't see any scenario for either of these guys really because for one they're going to be taken by teams really high. Right. So most of the time those teams are not going to be playing games that matter in late September. Correct. But those and, are the only two. And guys. the other part of it is is that even if they could help. These aren't guys who missed half the season or something right. where you say, you know what, he's not near his innings. Brendan McKay is starting once a week. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, by the way, let me do this hitting thing, you yeah, know, exactly. every other day, you know, every other game and that game. You know, yes. it, I mean, it's not something where you would say, oh, you know, he hasn't been used that much. No, you really, long term, you're going to be better off saying to him, dude, we do not want you. You're, this is not Brandon Finnegan where we want you in October. We do right. not want you in October. I just don't see that happening with any of these guys. Uh, Ryan Boyd asks, are the Braves targeting a pitcher, bat, or just BPA at five? I believe they're definitely going the best player available route. Um, it would not surprise me if they took a pitcher again this year, despite their pitching depth uh, in the minor they, leagues. They, I think that they very much view it as best players. Can You can then turn... If you have a really good player and you have him at a position that you have four other really good players, okay, that's not a problem. Yeah. We can always make a trade. But if I think they look at it as, is again, you know with the Braves, the Braves are not a team that is going to take a guy. When we talk about the college high school thing, I mean, they're, they're very public about the fact the Braves – Risk is not a concern to them. Yeah. They, they're okay. They think that they mitigate risk by volume. I think the other great thing, the other thing I'm most impressed with the current Braves front office about, so I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not talking about Braves' legacy of John Sherholtz and those guys. I know those guys are still involved. Right. But John Hart, but mostly John Coppola, Brian Bridges, their scouting director, their whole department, farm department, the most thing I'm most impressed about is they have a plan, but they're not afraid to adjust that plan when there are new facts on the ground. I've been very impressed with that, with the current front office. I think they fully intended last year to go Freddie Gonzalez and like not be good and kind of see what happens. But then they came out and they were awful. They were awful. They didn't plan on, oh, we're going to fire this guy a month into it. And then you see Brian Snicker come in and Snit's like, I know we were thinking we were going to platoon some guys and maybe Malik Smith will play. You know, Ender and Ciarte needs to play. He needs to be the center fielder. We're going to play him. I mean, I, I, I think the Braves are – so I think right now the Braves might be, in their minds, locked in. Maybe they think well, we're going to keep on adding to this pitching volume. But the Braves are not afraid. If someone jumps up and smacks him in the face and says, draft me, and he's a position player, the Braves are going to draft him. I mean, they're just mm-hmm. – they, there's the consistent part of this is – is there seven out there? We're looking for sevens. Everyone is, but the Braves aren't about that mitigating risk, like you said. So well, I, I respect their ability to adjust. The thing I'll throw out with it also is, is that stands out to me is, is when, we, when we talk about high school pitching, the track record in recent years on top of the you know, first-round high school pitchers. Malo. 
very, very frightening. Yeah, I mean, it is. Let's just let's just right now again. This is let's digress. But but slight digression. Let's just take last year's draft class, okay? Which was looked like a pretty good draft class. And again, we are so early in it. We're not writing anyone off. We're not saying anyone. But let's just look at it. Riley Pines pitching in low A. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's exactly where you expected to see. We're just looking at high school pitching, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to. I'm, le- I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the Braves out of it for a minute because I want to get yeah. back to them. But Braxton Garrett and Matt Manning not in full season. Not in ball. full season. Ball. Braxton Garrett. We are still waiting for Braxton Garrett to throw his first official pro pitch. It, that is not. That's not that, normal. It's not good. That's and not I, normal. I, as I like to, I, mean, I always think of warning sign, which is a great Talking Head song on more songs about buildings and food. But that is, his name just makes me start thinking about that song. But, okay. Jason, Jason Groom. Jason has oh, had. Alias Jay. Jay Groom has had one outing, which did not go well, and ended in injury. Again, it's a minor injury. This is not a long-term. Yeah. But I'm just going to go, by the way, draft picks 12 to 14 from 15 last year. Jay Groom, I, again, just a, just a mild muscle strain, it sounds like. Yeah. So, whatever. Josh Lowe, ouch, babe. Bad start. Will Benson, put get, put him on your list. He didn't make a full season right. club. Alice Kirilov, Tommy John surgery. That's I a, mean, that's a that's a and again, they, just, we're barely into their careers. Right. This is we're not, not like them off, but you would rather they start better than that. Right. That's all we're saying. But the point being, if you said of the high school pitchers from last year's draft class, Forrest Whitley, you know, Forrest Whitley, hey, thumbs up. Yeah. So, so far, so good. But Ian Anderson stands out because Ian Anderson is out there and he's looking. He's loving every minute of he's it. He's looking very good for Rome. Cole Reagans, by the way, with the Rangers, is an extended spring. But just talked to our man in Arizona, uh, Bill Mitchell, who's uh, doing extended spring notebooks for us, and he's talking about doing one on Cole Reagans because the the buzz is good on Cole Reagans. He's really just being held back in extended spring to monitor his innings and right. manage again, his innings over the course of the year. We don't want to go, again, a guy being held back in April is not, for as a pitcher, it's is just, not that unusual. Exactly. Because it's really you're, different for position players than for pitchers. Because for a pitcher, you are saying, look, we're only trying to get you 110 innings maybe, max. You yeah. know, so some teams like to do that by limiting innings by start. Some teams like to do it by starting them later, all that. But you'd but sure back up to the see year, Braxton Garrett with some playing time. But back up the year before that, and the Braves, Mike Soroka and Colby Allard, are pitching in Double A, and I think both right now have sub two ERAs with good hits allowed, you know, rates and all that. They're they're looking really good in Double A. Looking good. And that's in a draft class where other you've got the computer in front of you, but, but Colby Allard was the first high school player drafted, a high school pitcher drafted in that class, and he was all the way down at fourteen. Brady Aiken was a and, and Phil Bickford were a first and second year out of college. I mean, out of high school, but they were JUCO and JUCO and I, yeah, an IMG Academy. Ash Russell, oh, Has not used. good so far. Unfortunate for Ash. Bo Burrows with the Tigers. Uh, okay. the Tigers was the, was the was the next guy, and, okay. and he's in Lakeland, and uh, that's a great sign in my mind. He's also off to a good start there. But Mike Nickerak, Tommy John surgery. Uh, has had a difficult start to his career. Very uh, worrisome, disappointed for him. Those are the high school pitchers who win. Again, and you go back the year before that, and that's Brady Aiken. That's Tyler Kolek. Again, the track record overall. First time we ever had high school pitchers go back-to-back, one and two, in draft history, was in 2014. That is just so incongruous, J.J., 
considering what we think we know about high school pitching but, but, and in the midst of this kind of Tommy John epidemic, and of course they both had Tommy John. But the point being, the thing that stands out to me about that is, is that the Braves go high school pitching. Mm-hmm. They are one of the teams who takes high school pitchers in the first round as much as anyone. And by the way, if you've taken a first-round high school pitcher, we want him too. Because we'll take Max Freed, Tuki Toussaint. We want those guys too. But the point is, is, and they've had success developing those in a way that many other teams have not. So my point being with that is, is that, again, if there is a high school pitcher on the board at five that they like, Right. There will not be any fear on their exactly. part of they, taking him because they say, no, 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 we feel like we have a way to do this. They can and do draft high school pitching with conviction. Uh, one last kind of Braves question because Braves Twitter is lit. Mark Elgus asks, who's the better rebuild in your eyes, Phillies or Braves? JJ, I actually had this bet last year with Matt Eddy, so we're still waiting about that. And, uh, you know, I think that we, I think we set a, t- a three-year time limit on this mm-hmm. one. I was more about the Phillies, I think, at this time last year. No. I thought the Braves would be better at the big league level, and Matt thought the Phillies would be better. Matt was right about that. I'd say it's really it's a good question. I mean, the Braves have both, a deeper I farm think, system, but I think they're both pretty satisfied with where they are. The thing about this is the Braves have a deeper farm system, but the Phillies have more guys at the upper levels. Right. Like, like, and it's I, more hitter-centric than pitcher-centric, so if you like that. The, I, the best way I could put it is that this is a cop-out answer, but I would say yes. Yeah, exactly. Because I do think that both of them are doing rebuilds that I see, I the, agree. I see the plan. Yeah. Like, it's it's a logical progression. Again, that doesn't mean it's going to work out perfectly or anything like that. But the, the Phillies are doing this, and you say, okay, Jorge Alfaro is sitting there in AAA. I got to imagine at some point this year we're going to see Jorge Alfaro. Unless Andrew Knapp is just tearing it up in the big leagues, which I just you know, maybe, but I don't see it happening because catcher is hard to tear up as rookies. But and then you know JP Crawford, I know he's off to a slow start. I still think we're going to see JP Crawford at some point this year. Yes, and then you, I really would like to see that. You know, again, we could go, we could keep going on their 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 AAA team is got a lot of guys who should play in the big leagues at some point this year. They have, and then I really like their depth, especially of arms. Like I think they're a very deep team too. Like yeah, with. The best way I can put it is, is when I was doing South Atlantic League stuff last year, that you know their club, their Lakewood club, there were a whole lot of pitchers who you say, okay, this guy is not going to be a frontline starter, but this guy's going to pitch in the big leagues in some role. This right. guy's going to pitch. Sir Anthony Dominguez is a guy who's not like one of their. I love that name. I, I love that name. He's not one of their top guys by any story. He's no, you know, he's not Sixto Sanchez or anything like that. Sir Anthony Dominguez is going to pitch in the big leagues in some sort of role. And he may be, you know, in the not that distant future because yeah. there's stuff and it's there's improvement going with it. The Kilames of the world, you know, it, again, they have a lot of guys who I like. And then you look at the Braves and you say, the, the thing Pro- the prospect rotation basically at every level, full season ball. Right. And the other thing that stands out with the Braves is is that you mentioned Inder and Ciarte. The thing you have to do with this is is that, and the Phillies, I think the Phillies have done this in in some ways also, but the Braves. Like, we talk about the Swanson trade. And let's make it clear now. NCR, Ender Insigniarte is good enough that Dansby Swanson, I think he will still catch that point. Yes. But he's got some work to do no to be the best player that they acquired in that. Because no question. you are talking about an everyday impact center fielder. If the Braves had traded Shelby Miller for Ender Insigniarte and Aaron Blair, you would have looked at back at that and said, oh, that has a chance to be a decent trade. And you look at it now and you say, they won that trade. 
and it's right. running away. Right. I mean, and that's with Aaron Blair not getting it done yet. Right. But you look at it and you say, you do that and Anthony Swanson. But to me, what the point is, is that NCRT has ended up, you got to have core guys. Yep. And you look at this Braves team now. They might have gotten two. And you say, okay, I look at it now and say, if you said the 2018 Braves, who are the core guys who are in the big leagues right now? You've got Freddie Freeman, mm-hmm. core guy. You got NCRT. Freddie Freeman. I think I heard some stat the other day about Freddie Freeman being like, uh, there's some stretch of time where he leads the major leagues in home runs or RBIs or batting. I mean, he's the new park's going to help, by the way, huh? Right, but he's take he started taking that jump forward last mm-hmm. year after a I brutal start. He had a bad, terrible start, but I know that his strikeouts for the year went up pretty high. But it's just amazing that in the minor leagues, first of all, I just remember talking to people pre-draft and people being like, you know, I'm not sure Freddie Freeman's not a better pitching prospect, which is kind of funny. And number two, that we always thought of him as Jason Hayward's wingman. I did. Uh-huh. And I guess he sort of started out that way, but... They made, the de- right, they made the right call. Player development continues at the major league level. You can't just get there and, and oh, here I am. And uh, Jason Hayward uh, did not... It hasn't been a straight line of him just keep getting better. It really kind of has for Freddie Freeman. It's just really impressive. So that's your but, core. Freeman, N.C. Arte, Sweeney. I mean, that's Swanson. Swanson. Who the hell is Sweeney? David Swanson. So that gives you three guys. Well, that's, again, then you start saying you've started to build. Because, again, you need – you have to have – then you put complementary players around them and all that. But that is far beyond where the Braves were – uh, uh, two years ago where you said they had Freddie Freeman and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I'll just say this for the Phillies real quick. They, they're, they're very fortunate at AAA to have Reese Hoskins as their AAA first baseman. I don't know who's managing uh, Lehigh Valley. I suppose I could look that up. But, I will look that um, up while you... Look that up while I... It has to be a difficult team to manage because Dylan Cousins is there with his 21-5 to strikeout to walk. Jorge Alfaro with his 15 to 1 strikeout to walk. Nick Williams with his 16 to 1 strikeout to walk. Roman Quinn with a dispiriting 20 to 2 strikeout to walk because Roman Quinn is not supposed to be hacktastic. At least as a manager, you could say, Dusty okay. Dusty Wathen, by the way. Pardon? Dusty Wathen. Dusty Wathen. At least Dusty can take a deep breath when Reese Hoskins gets in the box and say, okay, here comes a quality at bat. Because Reese Hoskins can hit. And this is the guy who. Um, Really fits also. He's just not a high-profile prospect, but we had him number eight, I think, in the top ten this year. Um, ben Badler's – he is right in Ben Badler's bailiwick of players. Latin or non-Latin, I mean, I think we all think of the Latin American as Ben's bailiwick. But the other thing that he likes is guys with good hitting approaches. He's all about that. And Reese Hoskins is right up his alley. And Reese Hoskins is important because, you know, Tommy Joseph had a great year last year. Let's see him do it again. And the Phillies are giving him a chance to do it again, but do I think he's a long-term piece of the Phillies' uh, rebuild? I'm not sure, but I think Reese Hoskins is more likely to be their first baseman when they contend than Tommy Joseph. And he's showing you why right now. It's early, but this is who he is. He draws walks. He will strike out, but he will hit for power, and he hits for pretty good average. I like Reese Hoskins. He's gonna be, I think he's going to be I tested. liked him when he was in the FSL. That's right. I remember you talked about him in the Saudi League, actually. Saudi so. League. That's what it was. Saudi League, yeah. So, um... So anyway, and he was a fifth-round pick. So the, you don't just make your draft in the first round. You make it throughout. But uh, we do focus on the well, horse race a lot. Too. So now back to the draft a little bit before we wrap this up. Uh, we have, yeah, we have a, a draft question, uh, one more, from Simon at Federer Funhouse. I think I picked up a lot of uh, 
tennis fans when I tweeted out that picture of Steffi Groff and uh, uh, Andre, Andre Agassi at the North Carolina NC State game last Friday. Did you see that or you you missed that in Atlanta? Yeah, I missed that one in Atlanta. Uh, you know, Andre's son, well, Andre and Steffi's son is a freshman third baseman at a Las Vegas high school, and apparently he's a he's a dude. So they were school shot. I, I, I am no. I'll say this. Genetically, I am shocked. Shocked, I say. Yeah, that he's athletic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I and I, you know. What kind of legs has he got? Is he good mom's legs or dad's legs? Uh, for everybody's sake, I hope he got dad's legs. Because if he got mom's legs, that'd be confusing. <laughs> those are I'm putting an 80 on those legs. Simon at Federer Funhouse asks, what are you hearing about the Jays and their two picks? You know, in the first round, again, the Blue Jays changed scouting directors. Steve Saunders, not Brian Parker anymore. I just think we see in general, JJ, that the Blue Jays are not the Braves. They do want to mitigate risk. And we were drafting at the back of the first round. I think you're going to see the Blue Jays take college guys and um, try to mitigate their risk in that regard. I think they would love to find some college position players um, lurking toward the back of the first round. That's kind of where those guys fit this year um, is the back of the first round. And if my Y key would just be working on my computer, I might be able to look for what I did with the Blue Jays because I can't get to them. Uh, At 22, I had them taking Jacob Berger. Of the Missouri State power Which, joker, power, you know, and again, the th- the funny thing with this is, is again, it's not that there's not college guys. Every year there are college bats who produce. Yes, Jake Berger is one of those guys, and then I also had them taking Will Crow at 28. So college bat, college arm, um, you know, I, that's where I see them going. So, uh, you know, I, I do see the Blue Jays being in in full uh, college mode, full mitigate risk mode, JJ. But the other thing I did want to touch on before we wrap so thanks, up. Thanks for the questions. But uh, is, so we, in your in the mock that you released yesterday, Brennan McKay won. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, and again, you write in there. A lot of different directions twins could go. Twins control where this draft goes. Hunter Green too. And Hunter Green is. Hunter Green wants to try to control where this draft goes to. Hunter Green and his orchestra, as they say. You know, so. On the high school side, I do feel like it, it is what has happened now is, is Hunter Green, Royce Lewis have always been there. Mm-hmm. Austin Beck, Mackenzie Gore have put themselves in that discussion too. I believe both those guys would be saying, we here, if they're in this podcast. Yeah. Um, it is remarkable to see uh, Austin Beck up there. It's not remarkable to see Mackenzie Gore up there. Mackenzie Gore has been a dude. Austin Beck was a dude, but then he tore up his knee. Um so Mackenzie Gore being up there is not a surprise. It's a bit of a surprise that he's overtaken D.L. Hall to be the number one prep lefty mm-hmm. in this draft. There are at least two clubs I've spoken to who intimated to me that Mackenzie Gore was the number one pitching prospect on their board in this draft, period. High school or college, Hunter Green or not. Um, and that is really like the philosophical discussion that you and I sort of had by the <laughs> out over the, uh, the short wall the other day of Hunter Green throws a hundo now. 98 all the time. I got lots of videos of people tweeting at me or texting to me from Southern California. Like, hey, here's Hunter Green's first pitch, 97. Um, Mackenzie Gore touches 96. He'll pitch at 93 to 95 at his best. The other day he was sick and he pitched 90-91 and touched 93. That doesn't bother me. I think it bothers you more than it bothers me. No, Maybe bother's not the right word. No, but it, 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 The thing about it is, is that his is within that range – to me, you're not talking about a guy who you're having to project to get to an above-average fastball. That that 
It worries me less than when we were having a discussion yesterday. I, I was being a little contrarian that morning, I guess. That's but, fine. You know, but I, he is already showing right now that, you know, if he, I think with high school guys, you've got to ask it three ways. Is it going to get better? Mm-hmm. Is it going to stay the same? Or if it gets worse? He, Mackenzie Gore is throwing at a velocity at which that let's say that going to a five-day rotation. Which he's done on a couple of starts this year, by the way. He's thrown on a pro, on right. pro rest a couple times this year because he is thinking future, not just now. But if let's say, because a lot of guys do. A lot of guys, we talked about Tyler Kolek. Tyler Kolek went from throwing a hundo in high school to throwing 92, right. you know, in, in pro ball. Like, he really had trouble adjusting to a five-day rotation. Or I'm reading about uh, Lucas Giolito in February of his draft year, sitting comfortably 94 to 96 and pitching at a range of between 92 and 99 with his fastball. And now, you know, he's sitting at the lower end of that range yeah. at best, you know, generally when he goes out right now. Mackenzie Gore is at the point that, even if he doesn't gain any more velo, which he might because he's kind of... He's, he will. You, his, can put, you can say that with extreme confidence because I've had, again, two teams, two scouts tell me he's the best athlete in the draft. He's got So not just best athlete for a pitcher, best athlete in the draft. So he's a projectable frame and supreme athleticism. And those are the reasons that people have such confidence right. in him. And so that's why he is in, that, in this discussion. Um the interesting thing with this is because I don't want us to go on for too long because we got a lot of writing to do too. Yes, we do. And calls and all yes. that. But that is interesting with this. And if you go to baseballamerica.com, you can get all the uh, slots that uh, are there for, for every pick. It's going to be different this year. Right. The MLB and the MLBPA agreed to, to do something that uh, they wanted to, as they call it, flatten the draft. And so what they did is that the difference in money between the first and the second pick, the second and third pick, the third and the fourth pick is less, significantly less than it was in the past. And what they've done is they spread that savings on to, you know, they've, right, they've, exactly. they've given the teams lower down. If you pick seven, eight, nine this year, your slot is significantly higher than it was. But the bigger difference is, the more important difference is, is there's a lot less difference between what you what you can offer and what pick one can offer. Because we do have guys. Royce Lewis is a guy who stands out for this, like from the standpoint of it's hard to figure out where to slot Royce Lewis. The, yes. the best high school bat last summer, and I think that was a pretty easy acclamation to say. Definitely. Yep, definitely true. He has not torn up uh, SoCal so far this spring. He's been fine. Would that be a fair way to put it? Yes. You know, so he's actually uh, the opposite of torn it up. He's he's struggled. But, no question. That he, I think it's fair to say that he's struggled. But so what you say with that is is that in past years, if you're say at pick three, pick four, and you say, hey, we're going to give you, we're going to offer you this, and it's a significant, it's a significantly less than what this slot is. But if you're Royce Lewis, you would know in those situations. If I don't take this, say, $4 million here, it's going to be really hard for me to get $4 million later on. That's not the case as much this year. This year, if, you, if someone wants to offer you four you know, in the top five picks, you also know that at pick eight, you could get $4 million. Yeah, there's a lot more $3 million bonus slots this year than, than ever. So, so. so what that's going to do is 
and, and on one side, there, there's a couple things that would seem to. Again, we're speculating here because this hasn't, you know, we there's always new wrinkles that people figure out. Every time they change the draft, someone figures out something new, and then they go back and they try to change it to, to, to counteract that or whatever. But in the past, it has been, if you are a team at the top, we saw this a lot last year. We saw this with the Padres. We saw this with the Braves. But you at the top, the Reds to an extent too, you could get guys later down who were top guys. The Astros did this obviously two years ago. Kyle Tucker, Daz Cameron, Alex Bregman, where Daz Cameron got $4 million as I believe it was the 40th pick. Right. 37, and something like that. 37, I think you're right. 37 pick. It was easier to move a guy down like that because they could give him four. And so as teams at 10 or 12 or 14 called and said, hey, we're interested in taking you, and you could say my number's four, and they couldn't, okay, we're moving on. Right. This year, it's going to be harder to float those guys down. For one, the teams who pick at the very top, there's teams behind them that pick again in many cases before they pick again. Right, right, right. And the other is, is that there's just less difference in the money. If you are at number one this year... And again, we've seen the, the ceiling that we have seen in this system is about $6.7 million. Right. Right? Absolutely. And we don't know if that's going to change. But assuming it doesn't, the Twins will have significantly less extra money to spend there than they would have last year. Yeah. No because problem. last year getting a guy to sign for $6 million meant that you had three plus in your pocket. Three. That's, that was more money than a team back drafting at the back half of the top 10 right. would have for their slot. Right. I mean, like last year, A.J. Puck, by going from one to six, he lost $2.5 million, $2 million plus. This year, he would lose less than that. I had the bonus right in front of me, and I just navigated away from it. But right. uh, the difference is a lot lower. So, um, so what that means is, is that this year... Logically, it would so seem the difference is two million dollars this year, not three million, two and a half million. So it's a it would gain half million dollars. You get a half million dollars more going from like that one bonus if you were to get the full allotment to that six bonus. Getting that full allotment, I mean, last year he was like four something. It's a, it's a the six bonus is higher and the one bonus is lower. They definitely compressed the bonuses as they as we were told they were going to do. Right. I mean, again, Minnesota at the top this year is $7.7 million, which is $1.25 almost million dollars less than last year's. So, But they have 7.7. So let's say that they sign a guy for 6.5. Again, I'm just throwing hypothetical yeah, yeah. numbers. They've got $1.2 million in the bank then instead of 2.4. And then you look at it on the flip side, you say, okay, the slot at yeah, the slot at eight is $4.78 million. Right, that's more than it was at six last year. And again, if you have a team that you really like a guy, you know, we usually see this where you get haircuts at the top that you spread late in the draft. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of logic to that. I think the Astros have shown, you know, you what that means is is if you, let's say that Daz Cameron doesn't turn out, but you hit on Kyle Tucker and Alex Bregman, you go, hey, great draft. You right. know, you spread your right. risk. You you know, they got Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers. And if Rio Ruiz ends up being a big leaguer or not, again, great he's, draft. He's been there, but he's also right. he's also he's having a good better. year. Yeah, yeah he's, he's having better. a good year. But he's in much better shape. You mitigate. There's a lot to be said for mitigating your risk by getting multiple players. But if there is a team sitting there at the back of the top ten who's willing to say, you know what, 
we are convicted on this guy. Yeah. Well, you could go the other way too. You know, if you're it's sitting, gonna, it's going to happen this year with prep pitchers, because some of these guys, outside of Goring Green, there's not a strong consensus. Shane Boz is probably the second uh, high school right-hander. D.L. Hall is probably the second high school left-hander. Some people like Trevor Rogers. Some people, I, mean, I think most of the industry prefers By the way, I'll point out, the fact that Mackenzie Gore is the best athlete in this class does stand out because D.L. Hall is also, I mean, uh, is a legit basketball player in his own right. So that's that stands out as, as impressive <laughs> yeah, on Gore's part. It does. Uh, that, that's, that's why Gore stands out so much. Um, but you definitely have... Um, I think you have really good athletes um, in those top two left-handed pitchers. I don't hear that as much with the right-handers. Although Boz, like Green, is also a good two-way player. Guys, a leg- if he went, to, if he showed up at TCU, he would be you know, a hitter and a pitcher. So, and they'd say, we, we, we're, we're good with this. We, you know, we can do this. Well, not anymore. Yeah, without well, anymore, Luke and Luke right, but he's does, done it. He only does one though. So now, now he does one, but he did both, and he did both well. He did. Um, so it's really interesting for me to uh, to see the level of athleticism on those pitchers and. That's one of the themes. Other things of this draft also is the two-way guys, JJ. I digress a bit, but that's I, I get hung up on that because that is a huge theme of this draft. But there are also because it's not we, we haven't even mentioned guys like Nick Prado. I mean, we've done, right. there, there are other guys who very much I, I would Adam Hazley. We talked yeah, about him, yeah. You know, there there are. It is something where, <laughs> but just looking at it, just you know, again, go back just three years in the same draft system. Kyle Schwarber at the fourth pick was three point one two five million. I mean, he took a big haircut. He wasn't going to be drafted by other teams weren't as convicted as the late Stan Zielinski and the Cubs were. I mean, that's a epic draft, no question. Uh, an epic pick by the Cubs. But you know, Alex Jackson at twenty-four at the at the sixth pick, he got four point two million dollars. Now that sixth pick is again that slot is like five point three. So if you sign a sixth overall pick for four point two million. That's one million plus more that you say that you're going to be able to give this large pool of high school pitchers who are falling all in that twenty to sixty which range. Which is where which is where the success rate exactly often is with high school pitchers. So is, that's is that where, you're, you're, you can easily, if you look, the track record of this decade is is that if you are taking a high school pitcher if with a supplemental first round pick with an early second round pick, it's not that they're all successes or anything like that, but they're there is a very strong argument to be made that you end up getting just as good a chance as you do mm-hmm. on a guy at the top of the draft. I'm just, just just for example, the Rays are an organization where four of their five guys have made starts in the big leagues. They didn't draft them all. In fact, I think they only drafted one of them, but were high school draftees. Chris Archer, who was drafted 11 years ago, if you can believe it, in I believe the fifth or sixth round by the Indians, Alex Cobb raised draft was like a 22nd round pick, something like that. Mm-hmm. Blake Snell was a supplemental first rounder, but he was like their eighth pick in that mm-hmm. 2011 draft. Jake Odorizzi was a supplemental first round pick. Again, Snell and Odorizzi were high picks, but they still, they're in this range we're talking about. Right. And when we talk about this, like the, <laughs> those the, post, are success, the those, poster those are, child, then you can look at the Blue Jays and what they did because the poster child of this. Aaron Sanchez and Noah Syndergaard right. in the same draft class. In the four, same draft four class. Four picks apart. Four picks apart. And, Mama. and again, that what it comes down to is, is that Noah Syndergaard, to me, is the poster child for this because Noah Syndergaard in high school, really this is the difference between high school pitchers go at the top of the draft because they have basically become fully formed 
usually in the summer before their junior their senior season and through their senior season. Like you have you have seen it. Yeah. You don't have to project it. Noah Syndergaard, because everyone at this point has seen the, the high school pictures of him and all that. Noah Syndergaard, it came in his senior year is really when it kind of kicked in. But Noah Syndergaard has taken even much further steps since then, just as far as pure stuff. Yeah, i got to give Nathan Rohde an assist here on Syndergaard because Nathan was definitely the the guy in our office who was talking about him the most. Syndergaard had as much helium as any Texas high school leading up to the draft. He led Legacy High into the 4A regional semifinals by two-hitting Trimble Tech in the first round, struck out 10, hit a grand slam against Lake Dallas in the second round, struck out 15 against Birdville in the quarterfinals, even better in the semis, coming within one out of a no-hitter and striking out 14 against Friendship. Athletic 6'4", 195-pound frame, was dealing 90-94 mile-an-hour fastballs into the postseason. Curveball much improved. Talked to Dallas Baptist recruits. Suddenly could sneak into the sandwich round with the right club. That is as dead on. I'm pretty sure Jim Callis wrote that. But I know Nathan was our point guy in the office. I'm like, hey, the Syndergaard guy is really coming on. And... Uh, so, but this supplemental first round, JJ, Aaron Sanchez at 34 and Noah Syndergaard at 38 for the Blue Jays. The, the other guys in that class also, in that supplemental round, also include Tawan Walker, Nick Castellanos, and the two other big success stories. But, but again, top, okay, so we got Tywan Walker, Aaron Sanchez, Noah Syndergaard, and now go to the first round for that year. Tyrell Jenkins, I don't know if he's gotten to the big leagues or not. Luke Jackson, I believe, has gotten to the big yeah, leagues. Yeah, he was in there last week. Not, um, not exactly. A, you wouldn't chalk him up as a big league success story yet, but has reached the big leagues. But he did get to the big But in the high school pitcher down, Jamison Tyon was the first one. Took him a while. But, hey, that's a success. Working out now. Um, high school pitchers in that draft. Oh, just looking at Hayden Simpson's name. Always makes me wince a bit um, in that draft class. Uh, Jesse Biddle. You'd rather have the supplemental first-rounders. Exactly. Cam You'd Bidrosian. rather have the supplemental first-rounders. You'd rather have, again... This kind of goes back to it is that yeah. if you if you can take you can spend you're spending still a lot of money, but there's a lot of feeling I believe in the industry that it's not that there's still not high school arms going to go out the top of the draft, but you like taking you like having that supplemental first round pick where you can take a high school arm at 35, 38, whatever that round you know that spot is. Of course, the, the X factor in that draft of high school arms was uh, was Caleb Cowart, who should have signed as a pitcher, but wanted to hit. And he got to the big leagues as a hitter. He got to the big leagues as a, as a defensive player. He's uh, still only 24 years old, you know that? Uh, yeah, 24. He'll be 25 in June. Um, but yeah, probably should have probably should have hit. I mean, pitched. 131 at-bats in the big leagues, uh, though, so we didn't get to rank him this year in the handbook. And I believe we gave a heaved a great sigh of relief at that. So, um, but he was probably the number two high school pitcher in that class that year, after Jamison Tyon. So, so but again, that's our. The point is, is there's still we're a little less than two months away from the draft. A lot more is going to shake out. No question. Between now and then, um, I, oh, again, a story. You know, there's stories from every year, but the story that stands out, unfortunately for us, the ACC tournament will not be here this year. Yeah. Um, but. The story that stood out, like from last year's, is that a, a guy like Will Smith. If we were talking about catcher Will Smith, who's a Dodger now, uh, Louisville catcher last year. If we were talking about Will Smith at this time last year, where do you think you you know? Oh, he was like a third round pick at this time last year, maybe a fourth rounder. I mean, he was coming on, but he's Mr. Halo effect, and that's that is the case for North Carolina. For Mackenzie Gore and Austin Beck, 
it helped them that J.B. Bukowskis was a magnet. Everyone had to come in here and see him early. And Gore, those two guys acted as magnets for the rest of the state. It raised You're a guy like see- Greg Jones. It raised a, the bullet kid over in Greensboro. We're going to see a really deep year. It's a five-star year in the state. And you had to come in and see NC State's junior class, which is mostly not live up to the hype, or Wake Forest junior class, which really has lived up to the hype. So a halo effect is certainly in effect for the Carolinas. Because once you're here, you're going to see other guys. Yes. You've already made the you've already made the trip, but and that that stood out on a March evening or a March afternoon with Western Carolina playing NC State on Monday, and it was like, what on earth is going on here? They're like four scouting directors at a Monday afternoon game. And they were all like, yeah, well. I'm here. I got Gore tomorrow. I got Beck the next day. And I got Bukowskis on Friday. Might as so well see a game. We're here for the week. So that um, that's how this well, stuff happens. And that's how 2010 happened. You were there to go see Caleb Coward and Deck McGuire. You knew those guys. And Delino DeShields were there. And eventually, you went up with six Georgia guys drafted in the first round. That was, and that was a, that's a frightening cautionary tale. <laughs> it is a frightening cautionary tale. Because that was a record year in this century, at least, for Georgia first-round picks. And, and it hasn't worked out for but, most of those guys. Though, and the one other story from last year is, is that that's even more than Will Smith is. Is okay. Where is Mitchell White going at this time last year? Mitchell White at this time was on some boards as a four to seven guy. I'm sure there were other teams that had him maybe as a as a follow because I think a lot of teams thought he was a two pitch reliever. And then it was really about this time that I, Gabe Rebus, the pitching coach at Santa Clara, taught him a changeup, and he also learned to differentiate between a slider and a curveball. And he went from two-pitch power guy, probably going to be a reliever, to four-pitch, oh, my God, six in the country in strikeouts, fresh arm, holy crap, wound up a second-rounder. So, and who is already and doing now very is, well at high A. Yes. That guy, high A. That guy is bounce. So, so, again, what we're saying is, is that we're trying to give snapshots of where it is right now as best we can, but do understand a lot of it's things. A moving are, target. A lot of things are going to change because again, you talk about halo effect. Will Smith last year. What happened is, is everyone was at the ACC tournament, and if you are scouting catching, it's hard to have a better scenario than that was last year because right. you had Will Smith, you had Zach Collins, you had Matt, soon to be first baseman Matt Thice, who by the way had who to, was boxing. I mean, yeah, balls over and it was over. Boxing day every day for Matt, yes. for Matt Thice. That was basically. I mean, I, I will say, but he still has a chance to catch, right? But but I will say that that was the that was I think where it was like, okay, write him off as a catcher. We want this bat to hit. Yeah, but I think a lot of that just has to do with the organization. Yeah, there are some other organizations that would have said, you know, let's give him a chance, but he would have. The bat's just so polished. That's really what precludes it. It's yeah. not that he didn't have a chance to catch. Right. In some other idea, in some other organization, like they, some other but situation. But it was something where the bat the was going to literally, so good. it's the Will Myers situation. Exactly. Where we, when the Will Myers was coming up with the Royals, it's like, okay, this bat's going to be ready in about six months, and this glove will be ready in about three and a half years. Yeah, exactly. Do we really want to wait for those three and a half years? And we're not guaranteed that it'll work. Right. And by the way... Well, again, what happened with Will Myers was is that he was teammates with Salvador Perez, and you look over and you go, "I'm never going to be that." And, and well, in As some a ways, in some ways, you're probably thinking to some, "Can he catch with thighs that big?" And then you're like, "Holy crap, he can really catch with thighs that big!" So, yeah. I mean, he just <laughs> that guy's a freak. So, uh, good stuff, JJ. That was a, a that that hour definitely moved quickly, and I know that my ad read is not this uh, 
<laughs> the ad read is not the column from the Economist that I copied over to see how many no. words the Economist runs. No, but as you're as you're calling I that up, it. I will just kind of uh, remind everyone. You know, we're we're gonna we try to do this as many times as we can a week, but again, the next coming the next coming weeks. John, me, everyone else has a whole lot of calls to make. Uh, You're going to get a lot of Kyle Glazer and Josh Norris podcasts, I foresee. But hopefully you also get some more draft podcasts with myself, Hudson Belinsky, Carlos Galazzo on the high school side. Hudson's out right now uh, at Zamora's Classic. Uh, And, of course, the College Guys podcast every Monday. Um, So at the very least, we'll give you a Monday podcast, a Tuesday Facebook Live, and I would hope one other podcast. I don't think we're going to have daily. I think we'll have three a week. So. Uh, but bear with us. And again, thanks for tuning in to this Baseball America podcast. Our podcast and Facebook Live broadcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit the retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, Scottsdale, Arizona, and new stores in Atlanta and Chicago. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off. Next time, JJ, I will read that in my Brockmeyer voice. Uh, that will be that'll, that'll make it more fun. So for JJ Cooper at JJ Coop36, I'm John, I'm at John Manuel BA. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.